Hi and welcome to Overheard Overground from Commute Blog. This month we're tackling the tough questions. What does love mean to you? What are you scared of? Helen Wright and Hugh Lewis devised 20 questions which they put to people all over the world. They had answers in 35 languages and covered areas as diverse as the Australian bush to the heart of LA. The answers they got might surprise you. While it's easy to think that we have nothing in common, we're more similar than you might expect. How did the project, the Global People Project, begin um, and how did it progress from your initial conception? Well, it started off with an idea that came from... I work with film and television um, in documentary and um, it occurred to me that you could use the internet and you could use the sorts of technologies, the digital technologies that we use to make films with um, in different ways to look at how people are in different parts of the world. And um, from that idea came uh, an idea to do these interviews. A friend of ours, mutual friend of ours, um, had a wedding in Australia. We thought, okay, well... If we're going all the way over there, we might as well just take a camera along with us and um, have a go at recording some of these interviews and see how it is. Um, you know, we'll just give it a whirl. Mm-hmm. So I wrote the questions and we started off in Australia and we went to a few different places and, uh, and we did some interviews. And people were very open to it. That was our first experience with it. On our return, we also stopped in Japan and in the United States, um, both sides of the United States, and recorded interviews in, uh, in different locations in those countries, as well as China um, mm-hmm. on the way there. So wow. we started to get, we got our first, our first bag of, of material, if you like. And how did you find people? Was it uh, approach people in the streets, or did you have contacts? Or? Well, in many different ways. We found people uh, either through organising in advance with different producers that we worked with, because one of the things we wanted to do was ask people in lots of different languages, and you know, lots of languages yeah. we don't speak. So what we did is we teamed up with different producers in different places who were able to ask people in their mother tongue so that people could express themselves as clearly as possible. So speaking English was not a prerequisite to being able to answer the questions. So what we did is we did some pre-arranged, um, and some we did just box pops on the street, um, and other people we met by accident yeah, we were driving we were driving on this journey to uh, Adelaide mm-hmm. uh, we started off going to Melbourne and we got lost on the way uh, it's a lot longer drive than we <laughs> anticipated and uh, anyway various devices weren't working and we wound up staying in a, uh, a farmhouse uh, that does bed and breakfast and it was there that we met a, a man called Wolf and his wife Fiona and it was impressive the seclusion this place. We've been speaking generally to people in cities because we're just starting the work and that's the easiest place to find people. And um, we thought, okay, well, these people live in a very different sort of space, socially, so it would be interesting to talk with them. And what kind of things did you find from them that was different to uh, the answers of people in cities? Well, it was the, I mean, it was the connection with nature, I think, is mm-hmm. just you know, something that we, coming from London, we, we, you know, we weren't expecting so much. And we asked Wolf, so what are you scared of? And he says, I'm scared when it doesn't rain. Mm. And to me, I, you know, that's never something I've ever thought to be scared of. <laughs> scared of when it does rain yeah. in London. <laughs> yeah. really, so. He says I'm scared when it doesn't rain. And then you look, you know, you look around at the places and he said, you know, without rain, you know, my livestock can't eat, you know, crops don't grow around me. And then he went on to reveal the story about there being seven years of consecutive drought that Gosh. happened in the place. And he was 
you know, he was running a farm there and he told us the story about how many of his neighbours had, had to just give up. They'd just kind of taken their keys into the banks, dropped them down on the desk and said, I can't, I can't make my livelihood anymore. And he was still there seven years later, struggling to make it meet work and had the, started a bed and breakfast. The bed and breakfast, which is the, the reason, reason we were staying we there. Stopped oh with them. That was something, that was a business they'd started to help make ends meet yeah. Yeah. so to bring in other income and so but that was actually fascinating starting to hear from people in places that were a lot more rural so we consciously when we came back after that first you know trial trip we came back and we started trying to work in more and more rural mm-hmm. examples and, and one of those examples is when we got taken we went off to the Amazon because uh, we felt you, know, you couldn't get more yeah. <laughs> different than that so we went off to the Amazon and we asked people there and again similar sort of things and the answers that we weren't expecting and answers that were very different than mm-hmm. people in cities so which patterns or which differences did you find really struck you through the, f- the filming? Differences between people? Well, you know what, I mean, it's kind of almost exactly the opposite. Something that I was struck by and was surprised in a way by is people in lots of different communities and different places and people with varying degrees of, of education, inverted commas, or lack of education, had a sense of being part of the same humanity Possibly that idea is provoked in some way by what we said we were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but people weren't asked that question. But in their answers, their open questions, and in their answers, I was surprised at the diversity uh, of people, the different types of people, who would allude to that, who would say, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm the same as anyone else. On things like happiness uh, and anger, you'd see remarkable similarities between people um, I think on the, yeah, on the question about what are you scared of and why, I mean, and quite a lot of the time, I mean, in New York, people talk in the streets of New York, someone was saying, we're injustice, and then people would talk about hypocrisy and false people and lies, and then it's in the middle of, uh, you know, Los Angeles talking about exploitation, in the middle of Nigeria talking about dishonesty. So there were other themes there, but they were, you know, rather than differences, they were similarities that just seemed to bubble up in lots of different parts of the world, which is very interesting. I think what's interesting also is how those similarities, I mean, because I guess differences are everywhere. I guess that's why we find ourselves talking about similarities more readily when you asked about difference mm. because there's almost difference in every answer, in every person like we're all different so it's almost like that's the more normal state I would say of affairs it's almost more remarkable when we see things that are similar in different places mm. um, where we might not expect them That's a nice way of looking at it actually that it's remarkable how similar we are given our different experiences but there is that common thread of humanity and I think that there's a lot of these projects so my project obviously where I photograph people on the tube you have humans of New York you have what you're doing there seems to be a theme at the moment of people trying to get to know each other or trying to uncover who we are our very essence do you notice that at all did that inspire your thinking for this or is that just a a coincidence I think it's zeitgeist I think it's part of the spirit of the time that we live in. I think that it, it just makes sense to people now. The technologies that we have sitting on the table in front of us, mm. you know, the, one, the technologies we have in our pockets, the emergence of the internet, the, um, the way that people travel more easily now in the world. I, I just think it makes sense to people now. I, it's almost, again, in 1968, somebody took a photograph, or I guess a, a robot of sorts, took a photograph of this planet from from outside of the planet uh, which was a first I think at that time Um, and people have written about how how that creates a shift in our perception or self-awareness in the universe Um, oh wow there we are Uh, there we (laughs) all are yeah there we all are in one Um, in, in a very big 
um, and sort of seemingly um, empty space. As we develop these technologies and as people start to connect with each other in ways that haven't been possible before, we become aware of ourselves as part of that mm. um, and as being yeah, resident here together. Mm. Um, and that doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily something that's easy or utopian or necessarily uh, all good or all bad. It's just a different awareness, a different consciousness, if you like. Mm. And I don't know if you find this in the work that you do, but we were pleasantly surprised how you know interested other people were in doing it we weren't sure what the reaction yeah. would be we weren't sure whether people would just say no way I'm answering 20 questions yeah. gonna, you know take a you know 10 yeah. minutes around about of my day but actually we were amazed how many different people wanted to take part in it and you'd ask you say this is what we're doing we're going to ask these questions mm-hmm. it will take you know five to ten minutes and pretty much pretty much everyone said they wanted to do it and it I was find remarkable. that as, yeah a lot of people say to me oh you know but at least 50% of people say no yeah. to you and I'm like no it's no. like one yeah. in ten will say no and that's if you've caught someone on a bad day yeah. but yeah. I think yeah. this might come back to where you said uh, someone in the project said these are the questions that you already know the answer to but you're never asked it's very true and it really sums it up but why do you think we don't ask these questions of each other on a day-to-day basis of our friends of our family I don't know. I think that's a really interesting question. And it, maybe it is, we should. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe we should, exactly. I think it's um, it's interesting. Again, I mean, and actually more than one person has said something similar to us. That they're just like, wow, that's really... People are often kind of almost surprised by it because the questions are super simple. You know, what, what makes you feel happy and why? What makes you angry and why? Yeah, a lot of people were just surprised by that. They'd be like, oh, wow, no one's ever asked me that before. I was going to say, some of our producers would try to sort of help us... Pre-censor, if you like, and they say, "Oh, we don't want to." Because the way we the brief is very open, and we say, "Look, we want you know, we use the social geography of a place to find a diverse cross section of people, old, young, rich, poor, men, women, and we work with people to be able to, to find those and go to those places to, to ask the questions." And sometimes producers will say, "No, no, 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 don't go there. There's you know, lots of people that don't have a good education now. They'll never be able to answer your questions." Wow. And you know, the first time we saw that we heard this, we were like. Let's okay. give it a go. We give it a go. Yeah. And then we got <laughs> this from a few more, and we, we just, you know, we knew that it wasn't going to be the case because we'd, you know, found we'd got some amazing, very, you know, often sort of most pure, insightful answers from all sorts of people, educational or no. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as time went on, we would sort of go with it, and the people would say, oh, no, no, don't ask them. And we'd go, let's try it. Let, let's let's, give let's it see go. what they yeah. say. And, you know, and then uh, there was uh, an episode in, uh, in, in Laos where we were waiting actually for the director of a cultural centre there. So we were waiting in the cafe there for her and then um, one of the other guys with us he said well why don't you talk to this guy the barista guy you know we've got a bit of time and I'll ask him he seemed up for it and there was like it was early in the morning no one in the cafe and so yeah. you know he wasn't busy so he sat down he said you know he was a bit shy at first uh, and then he starts talking to us and he just gave the most beautiful answers about uh, love and so we asked him the question and one of them was obviously what, what does love mean to you and he said to me love is like candlelight when we light the candle wax drips Whenever I have love, I am happy for a short time because I know it will not last forever. One day it will go. It is not permanent. It's made up. That is why it's like candlelight. Wow. This is from this is from the boy bussing tables and serving coffee at yeah. the you know at, in the in the cultural centre. Unprompted, just uh-huh. said it, and you know it's, exactly. it's moments it's like, like that that touch you in a way you know you just. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So what has been the emotional impact of taking on all these stories? Because I, it's a lot to bear, you know, what are people scared of, what is love to them, it's 
they're quite deep questions and have you found it's affected you hearing so many answers and, and taking on the, those emotional responses? I think, I, yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's interesting you ask that and I guess I hadn't, I've not thought about it, how has this affected me? Um, it feels exciting. We've worked in 35 languages now and so a lot of these interviews, I, I don't understand the answers as they're given. And so you have to go back and some translation work is done and, and then it's kind of like a reveal later. And has it changed the way that you look at humanity or people around you as a whole? Or I, You know what? I think generally we're all right. <laughs> you know, people. Yeah. Like I think there's a lot of... I mean, I work... You know, I do work with documentary and stuff like this. And so this is, I, I'm quite familiar with how narratives work, how storytelling works. And we need stories, or we, we, we exchange stories, we sell stories. It's, it's an important part of, of the way we communicate now. Um, and there's something about that which kind of uh, requires there to be a crisis of some sort, requires there to be a, um, a conflict, um, a resolution, a reversal, these things. These are the, this is the dynamic of storytelling. Um, and I think that with what we've... Well, what we've experienced on this. People wish each other well, generally. Sometimes they really don't. Sometimes they've got a, they've got a specific axe to grind and they will grind it. But that's unusual. That's uncommon. And as a filmmaker, you might find yourself kind of like going through looking for those sorts of things because that sort of tension, that sort of antagonism uh, creates moments of, of conflict that you, know, you can use to craft a narrative with. But yeah, generally people wish each other well. So you almost think that it's like the thing of good, good news doesn't sell. So people kind of, we focus on the bad because it's much more gripping or it's, it, people use it to sell more stories. But actually underlying that is a current of goodness. I'd say it, it's more ordinary. Yeah. It's more ordinary, it's more normal. That's sort of generally people being all right. Mm. You know, we're none of us is kind of perfect or wonderful. You know, I'm not suggesting that we're all yeah. kind of, we've gone out into the world and found this sort of universe of saying, part of this is the experience I think you've shared of people being willing to share some of their time to have these sorts of conversations where you might, I know you might think that they wouldn't be or people yeah. would assume that they're not. Yeah. And actually more often than not, they are. Mm. I think it's useful as well in that, you know, I'm very much be going beyond the narrative of the 24-hour news cycle and being able to hear directly from lots of different people in a very unedited way, in a, a very immediate, first-person way. Uh, and that's one of the elements that we've tried to focus on when we do our interviews. Yeah, we work with um, two young producers called Richard and Adelite, um, who are based in Chigali, which is the capital of Rwanda. They suggested, both of them um, were quite keen that we do an interview with a, a guy called Ciprini, um, who had recently been released from prison where he'd been for, uh, I think, 11 years. And the reason he was, had been in prison is because he was involved, as many people were in that country, in the genocide that happened there in the 1990s. But, um, Ciprini, he's a big man. He's not a man of many words. And we were concerned that, um, that this might wind up being the, the shortest interview that we'd ever done. <laughs> it was quite, quite a long way to get there, wasn't it? And then this yeah. guy had said nothing. Yeah, he was really quiet. What? <laughs> and you know, what are we done? Yeah. <laughs> but actually, it was amazing when Adelite started the, the, one of the producers. He started to. He said, "Don't worry about this. I'll ask the questions." Mm-hmm. And so he gets going. And then we were looking at the body language, basically, because we couldn't understand the, the Kindu and they were talking in Bruno. Mm-hmm. And Supreme is like sort of hunched back, and he's he's 
head down and he looks like you know, very uncooperative. But then, as the questions go on, you see this total change of body language and then he's suddenly leaning forward and he is so completely engaged with this guy opposite him. And we couldn't, we couldn't believe this transformation that was going on on the camera. And afterwards, we're like, well, what did he say? What did he say? And Adelite's like, well, when we got to the question about fear, he said, I'm scared when I do wrong. And when I do wrong, I try to stop it. And we were like amazed by that and it was only afterwards we were talking with Adelite because of the genocide he said I was only very very young but during the genocide I lost both my parents and we realised that basically an orphan had interviewed the perpetrator of the genocide we didn't know that at the time and he'd volunteered to do that you've got your 20 questions but um, where did they come from because Helen you did psychology you have a master in psychology so did that influence it or was it things that you had always wanted to ask people or did people give you suggestions you write the questions I wanted to write a set of questions that are universal and that help broadly for us to explore how we understand ourselves, how we understand other people and how we understand the world that we live in. The questions should be universal and ideally questions that anybody can answer regardless of their sort of cultural or educational or sort of social economic predisposition. Mm-hmm. Gosh, so not a big task then. <laughs> well, I mean, interesting, I hope. Yeah. And I, actually, I think, it, I think it has been, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's just, I can know you sit down and you think, okay, well, what, what questions could we ask that I can't imagine anybody being able to answer, um, but that kind of, yeah, helps us to think about who we are. So we talked a lot about people, but you've travelled the world, I think, with this project. Were there any places that really stuck out to you uh, as much as the people? Were there any, any places that were really evocative? Or... We had f- kind of fun by accident in Penang. Um, a car actually ran over my foot when I had <laughs> flip-flops on. Uh, so we thought we'd be there for one night, and we wound up being there for two weeks, and it was actually really lovely. We met some great people there and, and really really just enjoyed that place and didn't really think that we'd be there for very long but we were glad to be there for longer than we were um, I, I, was, I think we were both quite struck by um, Rwanda and how yeah. different it was from other places in Africa yeah. and also by Ethiopia where yeah. we went as well that it was you know, just a place that you had certain perceptions about then you actually went there and those disintegrated very rapidly and you saw a place very different than what you had had fed to you by mm. you know, the media our, our producer there put us in touch with uh, the, uh, a young Olympic hopeful cycling team. You've heard of the runners that come from that part of the world. Well, there's also, there's lots of cycling teams. And then we went with them on their journeys up and down these massive mountains and, you know, really high altitude. It was incredible. How did you pick the places? Was there anywhere that really stuck out to you, somewhere that you absolutely had to go and that you thought the people would be really interesting or really reveal something? Or was it just just covered as many bases as possible? Oh, the way we produced it was basically we had to kind of go we couldn't go and then come back go and come back it wasn't going to work for the kind of production we were doing so um, quite a lot of the time it was the vicinity so for example we had worked in Kenya that we were doing and then we went to Uganda and then we went to Rwanda so it was locationally in the same place good travel on buses around and we tried places. yeah tried to you know minimize the number of flights that we took and be able to you know pack as much into a certain space as we could so that was one of the things that dictated how we moved around and because of you know wonderful tools like you know, Skype we were able to pre-produce mm. while we were in other places and I think that's a particularly interesting model moving forward why should you always have to come back to London to do your ex so weeks of so research technology has really made so much of this possible oh, it, at, at, without a shadow of a doubt it yeah. would have been impossible to do it the way that we have done it 
would have been impossible 10, 10 years ago even. Mm. It's incredible. It's, it's really, it becomes possible. I think that's really interesting because there's always that tension of people say, you know, we're more connected than ever, but we're so isolated. And people say, social, you know, you have everyone on social media, but no one really ever connects with each other. So it's nice to see that actually for some people, technology is bringing people closer together. And There's a possibility that this is almost just part of how people, human beings respond to different opportunities at different times. When it's new, perhaps the first thing that we do is fascinate with ourselves and, and reflect ourselves in, in the new thing that we yeah. have. But perhaps once we get more used to it and comfortable with it, we can start to, we start to be more curious about the universe around us, mm-hmm. including other people, yeah. um, and start to make more sense of things yeah, through other people. Because that's what I was going to end on, is why do you think we are compelled to seek similarities and differences between ourselves and others? What do you think is that compulsion of comparison? Well, I think we came, we came across this question. This is something that we started asking ourselves. Um, one of the interviews we did was uh, with some Mayan kite makers. And uh, so they were showing us their kites. And they said, oh, let's put it as the backdrop to the interview. So we had it hung up as the backdrop to the interview. And this guy called Oscar, I was asking him the questions. And when I asked him the question, what are you scared of and why, um, it took a little while. And then he just looked directly in the camera. And he says, I'm scared that we're all the same. It's... It, to me, it reflected back on what we were doing. Is that what we're doing? Mm. Are we going out looking just to try and kind of check, make sure that everybody is the same or, or to look for that similarity? And, and talking with you earlier, we were saying that sometimes that's what is more memorable or remarkable. Um, but I don't, I don't actually think that... I, I don't think we are the same. Mm. Um, I think that we, what we find with this and with a number of other things that happen in the world around us now we realise that we are connected, whether we're the same on about this, that or the other, doesn't really matter. We, we are connected. We share a very similar experience. Um, the themes, the ideas that these questions that we ask carry, things like happiness, love, kindness, anger, they're part of the human experience. And I think that that fundamentally is what connects us, that we, we experience the universe in a similar way. The differences that there are between us, I think, perhaps add the colour to the lives that we live as much as anything else. Um, But we are connected, um, fundamentally, I think. Thanks for listening to another episode of Overheard Overground from Commute Blog. This podcast was brought to you by me, Amy Dickett. Huge thanks to Helen and Hugh for giving up their time, and sorry for any of that background noise you heard. We were filming outside of the wonderful Somerset house. If you want to hear more from Commute Blog and catch more stories from strangers, then check out the website www.commuteblog.co.uk. We're also on Twitter at Commute Blog, Instagram again at Commute Blog, and on Facebook. So give us a like and let me know what you thought of the podcast.